Welcome to Marketing with Confidence. I'm your host, Marianne Amies. We're going to be talking all things digital and online marketing for business owners and marketing professionals. If you've been feeling overwhelmed by your digital marketing, be sure to listen along and you'll hear tips, interviews and more that will give you the confidence to create marketing you love. Welcome to today's CEO briefing. I am so excited to have Beck Hughes back on the podcast again. Thank you for joining me, Beck. Oh, thanks, Marianne. You're obviously a bit of a glutton for punishment. I can't oh. believe this is my second rodeo. <laughs> we'll, we'll go for we'll go for third and fourth and and beyond. When you're onto a good thing, you just stick to it. Well, aim for some kind of record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we should have a breakout show, just an irrelevant breakout show of the two of us musing over irrelevant things. Yeah, we'll start a YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. So um, we had you on, or I had you on earlier last year, and obviously you gave us a bit of a background about you, but just to kick off again for this episode, do you mind starting off by telling us a bit about yourself and how you came to carve out your space as a branding expert? Yes, I can share that. Um, You know what, it's not very often that I share any kind of story of my background because Mm. I, I don't love talking about myself. I think that's probably true of most people, isn't it? I can talk about anything. But as Mm. soon as someone asks me a question about me, I'm like, oh, (laughs) Uh, but as it's you yes thank you um so how did I carve out well it was sort of a when it came to brand it was really something I fell into really Mm. so this always surprises people that I did an English literature degree I'm not surprised I have told you before how your amazing English accent is so lulling for me (laughs) Why you studying English literature actually just feels like the perfect utilization of your natural born skills. <laughs> it's just on brand, basically. Yeah, it is. I would listen to you read poetry. Oh, thanks, the podcast Donna. idea for you. <laughs> it's very Emily Blunt in a way. It is. Um, but yeah, so I did English lit, and I think it was because it was just a time where you chose a very most people were choosing very traditional mm. subjects. You know, people weren't like now. You can study so many great things. niche things. Yeah, yeah niche. But I just felt at the time it's like you just did English history, maths. You just went on. You pursued yeah. the topic you were best at at school. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's what you did. Yeah. So I did that at at Bristol Uni in the UK, which mm-hmm. is a very what they would call like red brick uni. It was a okay. bit. Posh. I'm not posh at all. I'm from Wales. Your voice is posh. So I'm very unposh. But really, the outcome of doing an English literature degree is that you've got very, probably very finite number of career paths in many ways. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a teacher, which was never, I was never going to do that. (laughs) Maybe you go on to be an author, which perhaps in hindsight I could have, should have done. It might have been more lucrative. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Had I been any good, which is like not being qualified Irrelevant right now, yeah, yeah, or maybe do something like a, you know, be a curator of a museum or a librarian or something along those lines. Oh, I like those ideas. Could have been quite mellow, quite nice. Yeah. Didn't choose that though. Okay, and then the other one really was to go into like something advertising and communications based. Mm. It was kind of particularly if you were kind of language based that you were going to go in and be an ad man. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. In inverted commas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I suppose by process of elimination more than anything, (laughs) 
I'll go down like the commons route. I'll go into yeah. like an advertising route. So I I went into a quite a packaging agency, a packaging yeah. design agency yeah. in the UK, in a place called Cheltenham. And I went in as like client service, which you would appreciate what that means. The person who looks after the clients. Yeah, warm and fuzzy. Yeah. But then I also just loved the whole design side of things. Was all, I was always very creative anyway. I'd done A-level art as yeah. one of my A-levels. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, at the time, how you use that as yeah, in a yeah. career. No one said yeah. to me, oh, you could be a graphic designer. You could be an architect. Well, yeah. Damn it, wish I'd done that. <laughs> um, so it, it wasn't something. But then when I went into that first job, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll study graphic design mm. on the side. I was like, oh, I yeah. like this. So there was a lovely creative director there who let me kind of be a studio junior. So I was kind of oh, living wow. a double life of being a studio yeah. junior, graphic design junior, as well as doing the client service stuff. Yeah. And then when I left there, I went into another very purist brand agency. So I went from a graphic design agency into, you know, what was actually a very much a consultancy around brand. Mm. And I went in there as a designer, but then another great guy who was the brand strategist there kind of took me under his wing and he was like, oh. look at this brand strategy stuff that we do. Isn't this cool? And I uh, loved it immediately. Yeah. And it really brought together all of my, you know, my love of language and mm. writing and the nuance of language in many ways. Yes. And, you know, that really close reading and curation of thought and simplifying ideas from a volume of information, all of that stuff yeah. that you know, English literature suddenly became quite relevant, or at least this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's really where I sort of then cut my teeth in brand strategy. And I yeah. stayed in that that kind of lane. And then when I came to Australia, mm. which was 20 years ago, nearly 21. Wow. I worked for quite a few brand agencies. And one in particular was Landor, if you know Landor, mm. which are quite a big global brand consultancy, yeah. part of WPP Group. Yeah. and that was just an amazing place. I was surrounded by some really clever people. Yeah. Worked on some really big brands, Australian brands like Woolworths. And I worked with Fosters, just yeah. some really amazing brands in brand strategy. Yeah. Well, that was kind of, I suppose, how I refined my skill set. And yeah. then when I went, when I had my kids and I went out on my own, brand strategy was a big, a important pillar of what I always did. So I was doing yeah. graphic design. But I think what really was maybe my edge in my business and yeah. why my business grew was because I had that brand strategy component as well. Yeah. And not everyone has it, you know, uh, not only have they not had the lived experience of it, but they don't have the, I want to say technical mindset, you know, to be able to combine both the, uh, and in some ways to communicate the why behind the design, uh, you know, uh, the why is in why they got there, but also why is in what it can represent and what it can mean and, and how it can shift the overall business as well. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, it's it's so the cliche, brand is more than a logo, and mm. I just yearn to find a different way of saying it. <laughs> but it is so true. There is so much more to it. And I think it's something that's quite hard to explain. Yeah. But then when clients go through the process and they see the outcome of a deeper brand experience, yeah. something that excavates so much more and gives them so much more understanding, mm -hmm. they then see and understand the outcome of that, Yeah, totally. the impact that has on their business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing often that, especially that fresh business owner says, I need a logo. 
I need a logo. And it's sort of like, no, you don't need a logo. You need a whole brand. <laughs> they do might just need a logo because they, yeah. they yeah. have a, maybe an intuitive understanding of their mm. brand. But more often than not, yeah, there's so much more than they need a logo. And sometimes yeah. it's sort of code for, I know I need a brand, yeah. uh, but sometimes it is just, I think I just need a logo. But then we yeah. introduced people to the idea that there is so much more to it and they see it actually in action. Mm. And particularly when you start to talk about other brands doing it well. Yeah. I think they then the penny maybe drops then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. So that's well, my history, darling. Yeah, that's your history. It's lovely. I still I still think maybe in your retirement you could read poetry. Um <laughs> Maybe that could be my other podcast. Yeah, yeah, or the the paid subscription one where you read poetry. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll map out a marketing strategy for you. Thank you. So as the CEO of your business, I wanted to find out how you, you know, you do the impossible, it seems. You balance working on your business and working in your business. Oh, look, and isn't it just the thing I think that everybody, it's the holy grail. It's what everybody yeah. strives for is how yeah. you get that balance. And that balance has not been my strength in mm. the past. I, I don't know if it is my strength even yet, but yeah. I, I think I've improved. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I suppose you only can hope for improvement. Yeah. But I think in a lot, for a long time in my business, and I think anybody, I think you would probably identify with this as well, is that in any kind of service industry, you can sometimes inadvertently become a bit of a slave to your client. Yeah. And it's not to say that the client's not important, but this is something that I've been talking about a fair bit recently is that I think very often in service businesses, particularly in communications, creative industries, yeah. there's a lot of, I suppose, received um, knowledge that you should put the client at the center of your business. Yeah. So everything should revolve around the client. You should service the client at all costs, you should deliver to them what they want, what they ask for goes. But actually, it's counterintuitive in many ways, because Mm. if you put your self and your creativity and your output at the center of your business, and you look after that, Mm. then what that means is a better outcome for both. I think you actually get a better outcome for the client. Yeah. Because you're focusing on the creative output, and you're focusing on yourself and actually looking after yourself better. So I think that was a big flip for me is, is sort of realizing that it can't just be all about the client in practical terms. It can't just be about responding to the client, yeah. working all the hours to deliver to the client because it's not sustainable. No, absolutely. And I think something that I learned, you know, from, from yourself, from other creatives, especially last year, is as in that creative industry, you need time and space to be able to almost recharge that creative energy, to absorb new ideas, to have new thinking. And that's not always in the active doing work. It's in the, it's in the inner, it's in the resting. It's in the, you know, consolidating thoughts and and not having that pressure of output all the time. Yeah. And I think seeing, you know, I talk a bit about productivity. And mm. I think very often as business owners, we only feel productive when we're doing mm-hmm. something and particularly when we're doing something for our clients yeah and it's just part of it is just flipping that on its head and realizing that the not doing is also productive yeah. as well yeah yeah and we we know this is one of my biggest 
questions if I'm not ticking things off a list. <laughs> Who even am I? What am I even what am I do with for? myself? I'm not. <laughs> I know. I know. I I I am so. I continue to challenge myself to not be, but I am so task focused. I'm so. Yeah. It's it's a bit of how I'm wired. Um, I just I find it really hard to sit in the the not doing. Yeah, in the silence. But look, oh. I think the other things for me are boundaries are a huge one. And I think boundaries yeah. with those outside of you. So boundaries yeah. with clients, for example, you know, it's talked about a lot, but that being able to say no and learning to say no is a huge one for me yeah. and the journey I've been on. But I think as well, saying no to yourself, <laughs> to your point, <laughs> going, actually, no, I don't need that yeah. to be perfect, or I don't need to do that thing today. Or, yeah. you know, I think boundary setting is is important uh, having a word with yourself firm <laughs> words yeah, yeah sometimes it has to be a written word with yourself so i yeah. think there is that boundaries but also for me to be able to carve out time it has been coming back to basics and and really approaching it in with the mindset of value of volume and mm. You know, I think when I started out, there's this volume mentality, lots of clients, lots of work. If I'm yeah. busy, that's good. But then I didn't have the time for the business. Yeah. So I've very consciously increased the value that I offer as yeah. a business. And that's partly around the brand. But then also, I think that then lends itself to being able to charge more. Yeah, I've consistently charged more. Yeah, I think when you make space for charging more, you ultimately make space for yourself in your business. Yeah, totally. Well, you can reduce the volume pressure. And then when you're working deeper with fewer clients, the time in that or the efficiency in that is is greater, you know, greater improved. Yeah. Do you know the other thing that I do love, which is just about really being disciplined about setting time aside? And mm. I, I'm not I, I'm not necessarily winning that battle. Yeah. But do having a mindset to do it and at yeah. least aiming or having the intention yeah. is so much better in terms of making sure that I literally set aside time mm. for the business and for the clients and I aim to make that that time non-negotiable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I did in some of my sort of new year planning, I I sort of looked at my week and thought, where can I reclaim some time just for me? You know, just for the just for the thinking, you know, for the non-productive yet still important time of just for me and and sort of yeah, looked at the looked at the calendar and thought, you know, what could a week look like where I do end up with, you know, two or three hours that aren't task focused, where I can go out and do things that I love, but therefore giving me time to recharge creatively and and probably where I'll find that lots of ideas come, you know, it's like when I go on holidays and I get a massage. I sit there and I've planned out absolutely everything. I've solved every problem I ever needed yeah. to solve. But I don't think in a normal month to be like, I should go and have that massage and let those yeah, ideas because it come to me. It feels like wasted yeah. time. Yes, yeah, it does. It does. Especially when I still remain the world's best employee to myself. <laughs> world's best employee and the world's best boss. Yes. It's a win-win. Yeah. Yes. Although I often say that my boss is a real bitch. I'm like, my boss is a real bitch. She works me so hard. <laughs> She creates very long to-do lists. Yeah, she's tireless. She's always adding more to do. She makes me work after hours, weekends, horrible. Check emails on holidays. Um, but yes, maybe I should work towards being my my world's best boss and world's worst employee. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the goal. <laughs> 
What about morning routines? Do you have a morning habit that sets you up for success? Okay. So I have long had aspirations mm-hmm. to do something amazing like the miracle morning. Yes. So do you, you obviously know the what the miracle morning is? Is it, is it where miracle... you, Yeah, is it the one where you like get up at 5 a.m. and you don't check any devices and is it that and you meditate? It's is it Warren Buffett? Is it him? There's it's, somebody It's Hal Elrod, I think is the author uh-huh. of the the book and the concept. Yes. And I came across it a couple of years ago. And his he basically did all this research that was what do all these CEOs and successful mm. people do in the morning, right? What sets them yes. up for success, yeah. right? And then he essentially curated the best things or yeah. the themes or the threads yeah. and was like, therefore, you should do these. I think it's six things. Yeah. Which is, I think they might even all be ours, but oh, really? I don't remember them as ours. But it's like meditate. Yeah. Do some exercise, read. Is is there like a journal intention setting? Yeah. Yeah. Do journals, do affirmations Uh and do visualization. It's those six things, right? But all starting with our, yeah. Hopefully they're all ours. It would be really satisfying if they were, but I couldn't (laughs) think of the So that was his thing. He was like, that's what successful people should do in the morning. And I think it was all, it was even essentially do each of those for six minutes or something. Maybe I might have made that bit up. Six for six. No, it it sounds like that perfect framework. I'm, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. It's the kind of thing I can get on board with because it's kind of reasonably neat and nicely packaged. Yes. Yes. So I did try it for a while, but I think what I felt with that was that I was, Going through the motions. I was going to say ticking the box. Ticking <laughs> off like, oh, I'll just read for a bit. Then I'll do yeah. some meditation. Oh, stop. Six minutes is up. Put the book down. Quick. Yeah. It's Time to meditate. Exactly what you do with it. You turn it into a ticklet. You know I would. I'd be like meditating. Meditate. Oh, stop. Stop the yeah. clock. Meditating done. Tick. What's next? Affirmations. Let's I know. go. And I think you feel maybe it's something you should put persevere with and you it will become more intuitive over time. Yes. But I didn't feel, but there were some, a few things out of it that I did feel that I quite enjoyed and I quite yeah. liked. Yeah. So I have aspirations for that, but it just hasn't worked out for me. But what I do do in the morning fairly religiously is because like you, I am a real to-do lister mm-hmm. and I will always end up with like 30 things on my to-do list. And then I'll just hate myself every day for not getting through, not even the 30 sometimes, finding something else to do that's not on the list. And how could you? (laughs) Yeah. So quite a while ago, I came across the idea of doing the, like the three things. Yeah. And there is someone who talks about this, but I can't remember who, now this is not mine. Okay. Uh But I I don't know who to attribute it to. But I didn't come up with it, but I did add to it. And so I do the three and one. Okay. So every day I start my day by going, what are the three things I want to do today? Yeah. And it then it's not necessarily tiny things. Each of them are reasonably substantial things, but they could be things for my business or things for client. But as long as I yeah. do those three things, yeah. it's almost like a reward thing. And I, it's good for my mindset because I feel like I've done the list. Yeah. 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 So I choose the three things and then I've got, so three things a day and I sit down and plan that out every morning. Mm -hmm. And then it's one thing a week that is specifically for my business. So if I do that one thing, then I know that I'll be moving my business forward. Because in my experience, I think there's so, 
often weeks and weeks and weeks go past with people and they go, there's that thing I needed to do. I wanted to update my sales page or I wanted to do that post or I wanted to do that thing. I wanted to write that blog. Are you referring to me now? Are these conversations you have? if the cat (laughs) (laughs) Are you calling me out on my own podcast? (laughs) Maybe you feel seen, maybe you feel called out. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, But I, I figured to myself, well, if I was to do one thing a week, amount to at least 40 things a year just yeah it's not that I don't know how many weeks really no I know I know I I, I like what you did there it's a little less pressure yeah so 40 things is a lot that could kind of accumulate to quite a lot of action taking right yeah so that's my thing so I do my three things and then the other thing is I'm not I am a morning person I'm I am my most productive in the morning yeah but I'm not like a dawn person I'm not in the 5 a.m. club. No, absolutely not. So I, for a very long time now, have given myself permission to be quite slow in the morning. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that I don't kind of have to get up and do this, the miracle morning and take off my <laughs> six things. I yeah. The first thing I do is I have my coffee. I go and sit mm-hmm. in the garden. Hopefully it'll, it's a sunny day. And I just actually start the day quite slow. Yeah. I with like no that. other intention than to just... Yeah. Go, okay, now I feel ready. If I rush myself into the day, mm. I, I never feel like it's going to be a good day. No, no. I, I mean, it's like, you know, you're a mum like me. It's like when you have those sort of explosive mornings with children and then you just feel like the whole day is off. And I think it's the same. If you're if you're rushing from the second that you get up, you're, you've got that energy for the whole day. So I think yeah. that's really nice. And I've never felt like I wanted to, you know, having chosen to have my own business Mm. and essentially it's not about working from home per se, but it's about working for myself and therefore being able to choose Mm. my, how I use my time. And part of that was actually driven by the fact that I didn't want to get up and go on the train into the city every day anymore. But it was also partly that I just did like the idea of my kids just having that same kind of yeah. slow start to their day yeah that they weren't you know rushed out of the door at seven to get them to take it and I don't I certainly don't judge or criticize the people who oh do no that. no no I know what you mean this is the choices that you've made yeah and yeah. for me I just love the idea that although my daughter's now getting to the point where I'd still need to wake her up <laughs> no there's no you know she's a, school doesn't start that early but I just like the idea that their bodies could wake up naturally I never had yeah. to just yeah so yeah. that was my kind of thing. I like slow mornings. Yeah, I love that. My kids have consistently woken up between like 5 and 6 a.m. their whole lives. I can count on one hand when I have had to wake them up. And I often think that, you know, something grave has happened because I'm like, what What do you mean they're not awake? And usually it's the indicator that they're sick. Like it's like I go in, I wake them up, and I'm like, oh, I understand, you're sick. Um, I am generally the last person up in this house and have been for many years. <laughs> yeah, same. I I just really don't feel the need to rush out of bed. No. No, and I was saying the other day and possibly in this podcast series as well, I'm just someone who needs, I need sleep. You know, there's a lot that happens in the day and I used to feel guilty about, you know, not getting up and exercising, like not being in the 5 a.m. club, you know, not getting <laughs> up and But I'm sort of like, you know what my body actually needs? My body actually needs to sleep and my mind needs it. Like my mental clarity needs it. So um yeah, no, I'm all I'm all for slow mornings. Yeah. Look, I think that comes back to some of the, you know, also how you carve out time and how you work best 
on mm. and in your business. And I think it is really about recognizing your ebbs and flows and yeah. and rather than fighting against them, actually working with them. So yeah. I know that for me, Friday afternoon is not great. I also know now on, you know, we're in January, we're chatting in January, <laughs> that January is not my month. I yeah. think in the future, what I would love to do is just not take, take the whole of January yeah. off. Yeah, so yeah. It's really about ebbs and flows as much as in your 24 hours. Yeah. You know, I'm good. I'm good at a certain point in the morning as the afternoon approaches. I'm not great. So yeah. I shape my day around that. Yeah. Beautiful. I think there's also ebbs in your flows in your week and in your year. Yeah, absolutely. Acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think you're right. I think that's the beauty of being a business owner. If we work it the way we should, is that we are in control of that. We're in control of setting those boundaries and setting those, um, those, processes or, or those patterns of, of when we will show up because that's when we're at our best and when we need time to rest and we need time to you know refocus and, and those sorts of things as well yeah and look it's surprising I think how really ingrained the nine to five is mm. you know I think it's yeah. just become so intuitive for us yeah. it's just part of our makeup you know in yeah. the same way that we need needed to hunt and gather when we were cave people, <laughs> savages. Um, yeah, no, it's so it's so true. I mean, I haven't been an employee for thirteen years yet. From the day dot of having my business, I still was showered and dressed and ready to sit at my computer by nine a.m. every morning. You know, like it's just well, through COVID, like all of it, it's just always what's felt like home to me. So yeah, maybe it's my primal instinct. Is to- yeah. There it is. It's your lizard brain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bless that lizard brain. So let's move on to talking about branding and talking about the importance of branding, you know, where CEOs really need to get on board and understand the bigger picture. So tell us why CEOs need to pay attention to their branding, especially as part of their digital strategy and digital identity. Well, obviously, there's a lot of brand designers out there that need to make a living. (laughs) (laughs) Check. Yeah, so we'll get that out of the way. Um, no, look, I for me, I think brand is probably there's three key things of why it's so important. Yeah. The first one is that I think brand essentially lends itself to ROI and efficiency. So yeah. when you focus on a really strong brand, it really amplifies any efforts that you make. So if, you, if we're talking about digital marketing, mm. when you're investing in your digital marketing, when you're doing work in that space, mm. When you overlay that with your brand, you essentially are going to amplify the results from that. Yeah. Because your your brand is the, the glue that brings it all together. It's the thing that focuses the message and makes the message most relevant to the right people. Yeah. So there's, you know, brand isn't just something that is a nice, fluffy, airy, fairy, nice to have. It makes me look good and it makes me feel good about my business. Yeah. I think there is a bottom line impact an impact on like we said your return on investment yeah from investing in your brand yeah so I think yeah. that's a really key one I think the other thing is that you know your brand is the difference between you and everyone else yeah absolutely yeah so when you start to say you know when I hear people saying oh it's such a crowded industry you know family photography such a crowded industry mm. graphic design such a crowded industry digital marketing mm. marketing such a crowded industry whatever it yeah. is yeah well when you're in a crowded industry the thing that is going to set you apart and give you cut through is your brand yeah absolutely 
Yeah. So that in its, again, then that ladders really back to the ROI yeah. as well, because when you're setting yourself apart, you're giving yourself cut through, Absolutely. then, you know, you're getting better return on your investment. Yeah. And then the final thing, and maybe this is the old adage and it's a bit of a cliche, but it does build trust and it does make you more memorable. 100. I was thinking about that just as you were speaking. 100%. I mean, we all know it when you go to, you know, take two hairdressers and you, you visit one website and it's nicely done. It has a lovely theme through it. It has, you know, a consistent color, consistent font, nice imagery, beautiful logo. And then you go to another and it's, you know, a hodgepodge and the, the logo looks like clip art. You make assumptions. You you immediately make it. And, and maybe it's us. Maybe it's because we're in that world of marketing. But, you know, I think that that missing piece online is, is the trust. You're not walking past, you're not having a conversation. So it's all those signals, those sort of silent signals that give you that gut feeling. And I think that that consistent executed brand gives you a completely gut feel about someone then, you know. Yeah. And there's a really intentional, yeah. And I think you can, I never, I think very often people go, well, how do I get that gut feeling though? How Mm. do I create that? I think you can be quite intentional about it Mm. you know and think about you know I always talk about brand and think about brand as really having four parts to it if you Mm. like there's the visual and everybody you know the visual is look it's not the easy bit by any means but it's the most visible bit obviously because yeah (laughs) it's the thing that people see it's sort of how you how your your color scheme and your you know all of those things and how they come together but I think a really important part of brand and something that is often overlooked, and for me, it's a it's an opportunity in brand in yeah. many ways, and talks back to that idea of how do you set yourself apart in a crowded industry, yeah. and that's your brand voice. Yeah. And that's really how do you use and what you say to set you apart? Yeah, absolutely. And that comes down to, and t- talking about digital mm. marketing, it's the kind of words that you might choose. You might Absolutely. become known for certain yeah. words. You know, I, you talk about my accent. And in many ways, I know that's part of my brand. Yeah. So sometimes I play that up or I choose words that are a little bit yeah. Englishy, oldie. Queen word here, there. Yeah. <laughs> or I use like a kind of old sort of phrases that my dad used to use. Yeah. 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 So, Absolutely. Absolutely. And Digital has no tone. Like there's no, like there's no uh, intonation. There's no pauses. There's no lulls and 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 that sort of thing. So it is the it's the conscious choice of words. Uh, you know, I I often do like dot dot dots and dashes because I tend to speak with sort of dramatic pauses. <laughs> How do you build that into your voice? You're yeah, really exactly. And that makes me. You know, I I think when I would read my content, it would feel different to somebody else that might have really relaxed language or might have really formal language and 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 you're right like yeah the the tone of that voice and the feelings it gives you when you read it is such an important part yeah but also as well you know particularly talking about the digital space mm. I think part of voice is also sounds and music you know, how yeah. do you make that part of your brand so you know there might be certain brands that will always choose very soft int- instrumental kind of yeah you know, for their reels, let's say, for yeah, example. Yeah. But there are others that might choose, you know, they might get associate themselves with techno music. I don't yeah. know, hardcore <laughs> German techno from the 1990s, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But 
so I think there are so many facets to that. You know, we get there is the language and there is the kind mm. of the, the words mm. that you might choose, the tone, you know, you cheeky, you formal, but there's also then other sounds that you might yeah. and music, particularly thinking yeah. about a digital space, that you could make part of your brand vernacular, yeah. if you like. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I didn't I've never thought of that, funnily enough. Um, you know, with reels, I just kind of judge them on the creative idea I can put against trending audio. That's my approach. I'll look for trending audio until something clicks a creative idea for me that's on brand, but I've never actually considered the different dynamics of that music and what may or may not resonate with my tone of voice. That's really good. Yeah. Really yeah. Important. Yeah. Because it could it could be a bit of a clash if you try mm. Yeah, Absolutely. But then the other thing for me with brand is also you touched on it. It's that it's aura. And yeah. that's the kind of intangible bit of brand. But I yeah. think you can you can still be very intentional by asking yourself the question, how do I want people to feel yeah. about this brand? When they yeah. engage with me, when they interact with the brand, what's the yeah. kind of feeling I want them to get? Yeah. And I absolutely. think that's something you can be quite intentional about as well. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the things like your tone of voice, choice of music, how you mm. look will contribute to that. But I think there's also an intent and recognizing what that aura should be mm. and really consciously always being consistent in it, I think is really important. Yeah. And, and the authenticity of that as well, which I think you and I may have discussed last time, you know, trying to be something that you, especially with personal brands, you know, is trying to be something that you are inherently not, you know, that aura you can't kind of fake it. You know, if you're a very reserved person trying to create the reels that an outgoing person creates is never going to be on brand for you and it's not going to feel right for people. There's going to be that missing piece of connection, that disconnect from the brand of who you are and what you're trying to sort of mimic that you've seen. Yeah. And everything, you know, Every action you take will have mm. a response. It will create a feeling mm. in someone else. Yeah. And, you know, it's either going to create a good feeling or it's going to create an uncomfortable feeling or an awkward yeah. feeling. And so you want to be able to consciously curate that in some ways. Yeah. And you can't control people's feelings, but the right people will get a good feeling and the wrong yeah. people will get a negative feeling. And that's okay because you want to sort out the wheat from the chaff anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and as long as you're resonating with your ideal client, then that's fine. But if you're not, then that's, I guess, where the problem lies. Yeah. And then the other one is your actions. I think, again, there's a big opportunity around experience in mm. brand. You know, how what's the experience that people have when they interact with you? Whether that's the experience before they engage with you and become a yeah. client, but yeah. also the experience they have as a client and after as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. We um we did a whole lot of process work last year and the lady that we worked with talked about like, you know, what's your offboarding? You know, when someone leaves, what what do you do after then? And I was sort of like, oh, you know, I always just tend to, you know, just give a thank you email and, and that's sort of just like, oh, you know, it's an opportunity to leave a lasting positive impression of, of of wrapping up and you know asking for a review before they go and reiterating what you achieve together and it's so yeah so interesting as well just that yeah how your brand wraps things up and and, and that lasting brand impression that people will then talk about to other people as well yeah 100 percent. so I think I think when it comes to brand when you think about it in the context of your digital marketing mm. 
it's really it's important and there's so many opportunities to have that cut through to improve on the ROI to do all those things yeah. when you start to think outside of just your visual yeah uh, yeah oh absolutely and and when you first sort of started speaking about the elements of brand and, and you were saying you're often the easiest and you clarified not exactly the easiest but I think part of that point is the visual is what everybody thinks branding is that's why people say I need a logo they or, or even when they say I need a brand they don't actually take into account all the other elements that that form part of that brand and how that brand can then go on to connect to that ideal client, filter out the, you know, the not relevant, attract the relevant, create alignment, build trust, build credit, all those wonderful things that sort of thorough branding does. Yeah. Look, ultimately, I think your brand is, it's an answer to a question that your ideal client's going to have in their mind. Yeah. So if you're not answering the questions that your client might be asking around, can I trust this brand? Mm. Is this brand going to help me get to what I desire most? You know, yeah. All of the questions that they might have, ultimately, your brand, the job of your brand is to answer those questions. Yeah. That's what's going to cause someone to take action. So you, you're not going to just answer those questions with a visual. They're not going to yeah. get all of that. They're not going to yeah. get that understanding that you're going to move them towards something they desire the most. You're going to create a pivot yeah. point for them with a beautiful logo and a color palette. Yes, it will start the conversation, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. But there is so much, you know, that then yeah. all of the other layers that we've talked about are what then build the richness of that connection and that answering those questions mm. that they might have. Yeah. It's a really unique way to put it as well. It's funny, that's the very similar to an answer about how do I become number one on Google is it's to be the best answer to the question being asked. Yeah. So so fascinating to think of brand in the same response. Yeah. You know, for your brand to be the best answer to the questions they're asking for, the solutions they're seeking. Which then clarifies the, the ultimate goal because the ultimate mm. goal is to understand what the question is in the first place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what I talk about a yeah. lot when I talk to yeah. creatives. Yeah. You know, when you jump in feet first because you go, this is what's on trend and this is the kind of brand I want to create. And you might intuitively answer the question. Yeah. You might not know for sure. So that's the important. That's where brand strategy comes in. Brand yeah. strategy is really about the first step for brand strategy, about formulating the question. Yeah. What is the problem or the challenge that we yeah. need to address with this? Yeah. Because then when, if you've got, if you know the question, you know what yeah. problem it is you're trying to fix. And then you can objectively assess what you've done. Yeah, whether it's right or not. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's a really fresh, I think, perspective on that, and and really valuable to ponder it. Really, really valuable. Thank yeah. you. Welcome. The meaning of not life, but brand. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Same. I'm pretty sure it'll do. It's thing. equally as important. Let's be <laughs> honest. <laughs> so, thank you for sharing all of that around what we need to pay attention to for our branding. It's as I said, so much food for thought. So to wrap us up, can you share your top tips for CEOs and what they need to know to make sure that their brand is strengthening and informing their digital strategy? Yeah, for sure. Look, I think I've probably touched on them, but it's definitely worth revisiting and just, you know, recapping in many ways. I suppose my top tip comes back to what we've just talked about, which mm -hmm. is to say it's so important to invest in a meaningful brand. Yeah. 
and really just challenge yourself to the possibilities of what there is for your brand beyond the visual. Yeah. And really ask yourself, what is that question? What is that challenge that my, mm. I want my brand to answer? What is the yeah. question that my audience is asking? And am I creating a meaningful brand using all of those layers that I've talked about? Yeah. The visual, the voice, the aura, the way you behave your actions. Yeah. So that's the first thing is that if you're currently in a branding space where you're putting your yeah. colors, your fonts onto something, then it's worth thinking more deeply because that's where the magic is. That's where you're going to really get the point. Yeah. yeah. But for me, that's just the foundation. That's the basis of if you if you are a brand owner, that is your opportunity. Let's call it yeah. a competitive opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the other thing is, and again, we did touch on it, is I think you should always use your brand as the filter for any of your digital marketing. Yeah. And particularly for digital trends. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think it we've spoken about this before, right? It's yeah. so easy to jump on trends. And I and that's what we've seen probably explode in the last 12 months. It's been ticking along for a while, but it's really exploded. Yeah. And everyone's jumping on trends, which means that content has become more repetitive, mm. dare I say more vacuous. There you go. Yeah. There's one of those like words. Um, <laughs> Thank you. you. Know, there are there is a lot of everybody jumping on the same trends. Yeah. And I think the opportunity with brand and how you can use it to strengthen your digital strategy is that when you apply it as a filter to those trends, yeah, then it means that you are less likely to get lost in the, cr- of, in yeah. the crowd. Yeah, or be disingenuous or yeah. lose the, you know, start to show points that make people question question oh is this what I thought it was is this really for me this doesn't feel aligned exactly so the questions are do do I even need to get on board with this trend or is it completely outside of my brand (laughs) how could I apply elements of my brand to make this trend appropriate and ownable to me yeah yeah is there a visual is there a sat you know is there music is there a message that I Mm. build into this that makes it relevant to me so I think Always apply the brand filter. Yeah. When you see a trend, yeah, great. Okay. Maybe great to jump on it. But yeah, always refer back to your brand because I think yeah. it will strengthen your use of that trend. Yeah. And certainly what as we talked about earlier, give you that cut through. Mm. So I think that's a really key one. And then the other one, and I think particularly, you know, I know that Marianne, you work with lots of different business owners, but probably business owners that are maybe have a bit more of a team. Mm. But I think in digital, it's really important to have your or to show your personal brand and to humanize your brand as much as yeah. possible. Yeah. You know, and again, everybody's saying, show your face, show your face mm-hmm. on social media, show your face, right? And <laughs> yeah, it, and there is always the grain of truth yeah. to when that kind of vernacular appears. And even, and I think for many people who are not a solopreneur brand, yeah. they don't, they go, well, I'm not a personal brand. I've got a yeah. team. Like for you within Wise Up yeah. Marketing, I think it would be kind of a good in, a good illustration of that point. You know, yeah. well, I've got a team. This is a business. It can't this just be about me. Exactly. Yeah. It's a brand outside of me. Yeah. But actually, and it doesn't, when it is a team scenario, it doesn't have to be just you as the owner no. of the business or brand. It can yeah. be multiple members of your team yeah. but I think humanizing your brand and showing up in it is so important and again that comes back to 
your brand is the difference between you and everyone else, but so is your persona. Yeah. Yeah. Humanness. And yeah. and a point that I often make to clients in their reluctance, you know, I had a gorgeous client in the other day and their family, a mother and two sons behind a business. And I said, like, guys, you're not on the Instagram at all. And they said, oh, no one would want to see who we are. And I said, I, I absolutely disagree. I said, you know, your story in itself, a mother and two sons, like your son, one son's doing the website, one son's doing the graphics, you're doing the production. So that story within itself is so interesting and so engaging. And the one place that small brands can compete with huge brands is that we have humans behind us. You know, we can show the human, we can build human and humans that are going to be there the whole time, you know, (laughs) not humans that resign tomorrow. Um, And then you have this gap in content, but you know, that, that, that business owner, it does again, like it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be picture perfect or the pressure you put on yourself to be that your workspace doesn't need to be, you know, um, spick and spec. Like it's that real. And again, on brand, you know, going back to what your brand, but even the most polished brand, you know, if I saw the behind the scenes, we're hungry for that. We're hungry for the how and the why and the who, um, you know, and I, and I think that that's where small brands have this plethora of content, have this strength and opportunity that big business will never have. Yeah, 100%. And look, I think you've hit the nail on the head in many ways because there's a lot of content around show your face, show your face. Mm. So what we then get is, Post with people showing their face and a, you know, they might do it once a year or yeah, maybe yeah. once every six months Christmas. to go crazy. And Christmas here's post. the in, yeah, the intro to me post, right? <laughs> yeah. And I I actually think in many ways that's missing the mark, or it's certainly missing the opportunity. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because it isn't just about showing your face. Because people no. go, well, is it just about me putting a picture of myself on Instagram? Yeah. I'm like, well, actually, no, it's not because it. To, to feel like you are present and that yeah. to get that human connection, there's lots of other threads. And even if you don't feel comfortable with showing your face, yeah, you do it in other ways. You Absolutely. can share your voice. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can talk about, you can align yourself with other brands and that gives a sense of you. You can talk about causes and things that are important to yeah. you. Yeah. Talk about your experiences. So there's many other layers yeah. to humanizing your brand. It actually, isn't it's all, almost goes the other way when you just do the once in a while here's yeah a here's a photo here's a little warm fuzzy <laughs> post against no I'm 100 yeah. agree yeah 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 and to be the face of your brand you don't necessarily have to have your face plastered all over your brand um no. but as, as we say looking back to that brand strategy and what the the structure of your brand and what you want your brand to represent will have the answers to how you need to show up and still humanize your brand. Yeah, 100%. And then look, the last thing, and we we talked about it earlier on in many ways, is I think just be very conscious about using your brand really as the glue to pull everything together. So this is really about that old adage in many ways, which mm. is about the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. yeah. So when you just throw when you... Uh, I shouldn't say throwing stuff out there. Power <laughs> to you if you're doing anything. But, you know, if you're doing bits and pieces of digital marketing here and there, you're doing the email, yeah. you may be doing some paid advertising, you're trying to keep up with your content, you're generating a blog, whatever it might be, right? If you're doing those things in isolation, yeah, without the thread of your brand to pull it all together, 
each and every one of those things has got to work so hard to get yeah. any kind of cut through, yeah. to be memorable, to be recognisable as even from your brand. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, and to contribute to the whole, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas when you basically smear <laughs> your brand all <laughs> over those things and and yeah. glue them together, yeah, then you're amplifying the effect of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're creating this thread of a consistent tone of voice, a consistent message, yeah. a consistent aura, and you know, you're bringing your humanness and yourself into them. And that's going to give you much greater impact. And it comes back to that thing, which ultimately is so important to business, which is the ROI. You know, yeah. you're spending money on those things or you're yes. investing your time. Yeah. And of course, you want to get the best from them. Yeah. Beautiful. And we're all going to go off and smear ourselves all over. Everything. Yeah. Smear <laughs> yourself in brand. <laughs> I love that though. And I love the thought that I love the idea of that glue, you know, that glue that brings it all together. And, and that's essentially where you can pop up on any channel in someone's inbox, whatever it might be. And they just know it's your brand. They just yeah. feel it, you know, as we say, from the tone to the colors, to the, the context, the messaging, they just know. And that that is really when your digital marketing is effective. It's that 360 degree, you know, where on every single, we used to talk about this in retail, you know, years ago, that the point of sale matched the magazine ad matched, you know, where everything is singing from the same songbook and you're essentially going to get more from every single thing you put out because it reminds somebody of something else you did or somewhere else they saw you and And I guess that's that repeated awareness that leads people down that funnel to conversion. Yeah. And it really comes back to that value over volume. You know, we can get very stuck in the doing, putting lots of stuff out. I've ticked that box. I've done my email. I've ticked that box. I've done a reel this week. I've ticked that box. I've written a blog. Mm. And we forget that it's not just about putting something out. Yeah. It's actually far better to put, in my opinion, put less out, but make it really relevant to your brand and really meaningful and to as you say create that consistency and be singing from the same song sheet yeah beautiful thank you always so many gems (laughs) (laughs) I've had such a lovely time with you again and I just I love where we can go in a conversation you know I think this has been so much value in in chatting to you and so much value for people listening and new ideas, I'm sure, uh, that spark for people. So thank you again for your time, Beck. Oh, you're so welcome, my lovely. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, yeah, so for everybody else, um, every second week the CEO briefing series drops. So please keep your eye out for the next episode and I will see you then. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode. If you don't want to miss one, make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app. And if you love it, be sure to share it with friends and colleagues who you think could benefit from increasing their digital marketing confidence. Want more? Head to MarianneAmys.com to find out how you can work with me directly, to reach out to have me speak at your event, or to grab yourself some free resources.